and welcome to an episode of The Imperfect Athlete, my show about mistakes, how they happen, what they mean, and ultimately how they change behavior to get people where they want to go. Now, my mistake of the week is that um, I took the frustration that I got through my job uh, as, a, as a volleyball coach home a little bit too much. Uh, I had a bad practice. I was frustrated with the way it went. I was frustrated with how I acted. Uh, I think looking back at it, I should have intervened a little bit earlier and uh, figure out some way to turn around the, uh, the the practice. But I didn't, and I was frustrated. Went home, and then my girlfriend, who hadn't seen me all day, was happy that I was finally home. And I uh, decided to lash out at her for absolutely nothing, um, just because I was frustrated and. Obviously, a fight ensued, and we got to a point where at some point I said, you know what, I actually don't think there's anything wrong. I'm just frustrated and took it out of you. Uh, and uh, that's, you know, obviously I don't want to do that, but it happened. So uh, what, I, I, what I would like to do is after practices, you know, I give my athletes instructions to reflect and, and sort of uh, mentally digest their practice and make sure that once they go home, they're they're good to just relax and, and do what they need to do. And I think the mistake was that I should probably look at that for me as well and do that a little bit more. Um, so definitely when you do something that can cause frustration or, uh, or something like that afterwards, just reflect and make sure you close it off properly so it doesn't bleed into other parts of your life. Now, today I have a really cool guest lined up. We will uh, not be talking to an athlete this week, but we will be talking to a coach, which I'm really excited about because uh, from my own experience, coaches make a lot of mistakes and they change a lot of their behavior and the way they coach based on those mistakes. So this week, uh, my guest is Jeff Tomlinson. Um, Now, Jeff, please add some things if I didn't get all of them. Sure. Head coach at Nakutuk Cross Country Skiing, head coach for the Algonquin Thunder men's rugby team, Coach at the Bytown Blues Rugby Club. That's correct. Head coach of Bytown Blues, and I'm a I'm a program coach uh, for um, uh, at Nacrotalk. So I coach U14 and U16 athletes. I have 85 athletes that I'm responsible for, and I am a coach developer for 22 coaches, volunteer coaches. So not only do you coach athletes, you also coach coaches. Yes. Wow, that's a, that's a lot. I was, I was trying to find... Jeff is um, surprisingly elusive on the internet. Yes. <laughs> I have no biography. I refuse to write one. I won't allow anybody to write one for me. <laughs> yeah, I, I noticed. The only thing I could find was something about uh, a little anecdote that you didn't like cross country skiing too much when, I was, when, when I was you young. were younger. That's right. <laughs> so, uh, and now we have a team that's won 10 national titles in a row, so... People, do you, people do you change. like do you like country skiing yeah. now? Yeah. Do you do it yourself as well? Yeah. Oh, that's that's yeah. that's great. So unlike most people, I lose weight in the winter. That's <laughs> probably true. Because <laughs> I ski prop, well, I ski seven days a week. So wow, usually fifteen k a day. Oh, that's that's pretty good. I'm the other way around. I bike everywhere. So when yeah. winter comes around, I stop doing that, and it tends it's to. Good, you're still alive. Yeah. <laughs> You mean not getting hit by a car? That's hit? right, or a truck, or, or going yeah. into a sewer grate, or. I, I try to be careful enough yeah. to not uh, get yeah. into those situations. So Jeff, we'll be talking a lot about you as a coach as well, but I also want to talk uh, a little bit about what you see. What are some mistakes you see in athletes? Okay. Uh, and maybe in other coaches as well. So um, let's let's get started straight away. So. My first question is, how do you get into coaching and, and why do you like coaching so much? Well, that's, thanks for asking that and thanks for uh, inviting me. Um, why did I get involved coaching? Okay, so there's two, two things and one comes after the other. The first one was I swore, God, I would never coach my kids. And then I joined a sport program and... Or, got the kids to and found that the coaching was um inconsistent you know well-meaning but inconsistent and thought you know what I can probably do a better job just through sheer enthusiasm because it wasn't knowledge um and then what I found was I really enjoyed the personal interaction 
of working with the athletes and then working with the parents. Um, and I'd wished I'd found that, that was in my late 20s, and I'd wished I'd found that path earlier, to be honest. So, um, you know, I, I look at a guy like Eric Broughton, who's the head coach of Canada's Nordic team, and he's 27 years old, and he's been in a co- coaching since he was 18. He went through a program in Norway, and, um, and I, th- you know, maybe a different path would have been good. So that was one thing. And so, and then I thought, well, you got to get better. So you take courses and then you get more excited. And then, of course, one thing follows the other. And um, the other thing is, I'm not that great an athlete um, in terms of just uh, pure ability. Uh, I'm a person that needs coaching. Um, And, you know, back when I was in sport, the kids that needed the most coaching tended to get the least amount of attention. So in other words, back then you had uh, elimination games were the big deal in, in, and still are in school, like dodgeball. Like a lot of, there's a lot of versions of dodgeball. Um, some allow people to just keep playing and others eliminate people. And that only benefits the people that are talented at that time. And what it does is drive people away from sport at an early age. And, um, so that's the other driving driver in my reason to coach is that sport is for everybody. Um, you, when we first met, you told, talked about sport being one of the ways in our society that people can find a challenge where they don't know what the outcome is. And that's really invaluable. Um, and it's, helped, it's actually refocused my coaching philosophy to just have that statement. Because I do believe in challenge, and um, and so sport is for all. Because it it, it can we can make you know people are we coach people, and we want them to be the best person they can be, intellectually, physically, and emotionally. Yeah, and about the challenge, you know, if if it's a challenge, there's a there's a possibility that you'll fail, you yeah, make a mistake, exactly. which then drives you to do things differently. Yeah, right. That's the whole point of talking to people for me is so what, what did you do wrong and how did that change you rather than what did you do right and felt good about and yeah. you know went home and told your told your mom or wife or whatever yeah hey mom look what i did it was great i won yeah. it's great but in the end i think everyone looks back and says that one time that's what defined me as a coach or an athlete that's um that's really cool so how do you sort of evolve, right? So you, you get into coaching, like you said, purely based on enthusiasm, which I would then assume was like your primary tool to, to get people to do what, you know, needed to be done, yeah. right? Just yeah. be there, have yeah. energy. And you see this a lot in, in young coaches, right? They get into the sport because they love the sport and they love the people that play the sport, but they don't, that's basically what dri- yeah. drives them. And you say, I take some courses and stuff like that. So how does that sort of, toolbox evolve and how do you try and motivate and get people to do what they need to do now? so i come from a military family so planning and preparation is uh very important and we learned that from a young age so um you don't go off half cocked into a situation without doing your research this was instilled in us from a young age so okay i'm a coach i guess i better show up prepared so took the courses read the manuals Love, I always love playing games, so that was an easy, and a lot of people don't play outdoor games anymore, so, you know, all that knowledge is being slowly lost, so revitalize that, and just came prepared. Um, you know, you understand, the, you have to, it takes a few years to understand the bi- biomechanics of the movements you want, but if you understand um, the developmental needs of the athlete, which the resources are there in all sports, um, you can ad- adapt your program to suit uh, the needs of the athlete. And so that's what I did. I just came prepared, did the research, which takes time when you're a young coach because you don't have a toolbox of things. Now I coach men's and uh, rugby, for example, and go into a practice with my uh, assistant coaches. And we've been coaching together for years. We'll, we'll do a bit of research, but we already know. We have our season plan done, and we change about 10% of it. Uh, because we're experienced. We bring in usually a new guy every two years, and he's, you know, he's, 
He's inexperienced. It's not because he doesn't lack knowledge. He actually has knowledge, just doesn't know how to apply it. And so we develop coaches that way um, through mentorship. So that's my background. I came in prepared, found I loved what I was doing. So it was really much easier to prepare. And uh, then when you're enthusiastic and prepared, the kids totally bought in. And then you always had... Uh, pretty much 100% attendance because they felt I'm getting value out of this I'm having fun I'm I'm doing stuff that I never thought I could do and uh, there you go just kept coaching because it's like you know whether you believe Malcolm Gladwell's 10,000 hours there's a lot of research going on into that you have to practice being a coach and you have to be really aware of your when you have a practice you have to have a purpose and you have to know if uh you've achieved your purpose and that's the part of self-reflection a lot of coaches don't do and it's something we've brought down into our u14 now we get them we tell them the purpose of the workout this is my skiers and so they're grade seven and grade eight um we tell them the purpose of the workout when they go on their subgroups we ask them again what is the purpose of the workout? And then at the end of the workout, we give it, get a debrief. Did you achieve it? Or what did you enjoy? Do you think you improved? That kind of thing. And so, you know, that's the other thing that I've evolved into is in, in engaging the athlete in, in planning. And, and they can do that from a young age, actually. Um, we don't give the, the athletes enough credit. And uh, that's the biggest thing that I've done. You know, I you do a lot of work planning for your coaching group, but athletes, what do you need? And they can usually tell you. Yeah. If they know the purpose, they'll tell you. Yeah, I think that what's, what's really, uh, interesting here is that you touch upon two really important topics in terms of, of learning theories and, and leadership, like, what you're talking about, the purpose is, comes in the, the concept of deliberate practice, right? Yeah. The 10,000-hour rule, although it's debatable whatever that yeah. was ever supposed to be a rule, um, only, the hours only count if you are practicing with a purpose, yeah. right? if you know what you're trying to improve. And I, I definitely think that that is an oversight that some people make where it's just like, well, just if you're on the court, if you're playing the sport, then that counts. Well, that's not really true. You no. need to know what you're doing. And um, one thing we try to do with, with the volleyball team at Coach is ask the question, what did you see a lot? Yeah. Right? We we want them to make the right decisions because we're not going to make them for them, especially in game scenarios, yeah. right? So we make a play and I stop the play and say, okay, go, go to the player and say, what did you see? He says, oh, I saw two blockers on the other side. Blah, blah. Okay, so we've talked about this. What is the right decision in that moment? Oh, yeah, I should have done this. What did you do? I did this. Right? Yeah. Now there's a purpose yeah. as in, wait, I'm not just seeing a ball and just hitting it. No, no, I need to engage and know what I'm supposed to yeah. do in different situations. Right? Well, in, in skiing, the big deal is uh, uh, hours, like volume, progressive volume. And um, so we had some skiers go to a training camp in Wisconsin at the end of August. Uh, it was a 10-day and they're all very talented. And um, one, they went, and most of them had, were on, a, because of their age, U16 and U18, were on a 350 to 400-hour f- training program. And that is, that is a structured program. They do other stuff on the outside, which we encourage. Multi-sport is vital uh, just to keep the brain fresh and the body from not getting repetitive injuries. But... They were talking to all the other athletes that were there, and the other athletes were doing 200 hours more than them at the same age. So we've got a burnout issue, which we'll park over there. And they come back, and they're asking, well, why aren't I doing um, this many hours? And uh, we looked at them. We said, okay, you did 350 last year. Can you tell me right now that every one of those hours uh, in your program – that you achieve the purpose of every one of those hours. And they said, no, I cannot. 
okay, then you don't actually need to increase your hours. You need to increase your quality. And and the light bulb went on because they're going to be fresher during the season. Mm. We had a kid, U16. He came second in nationals in juvenile. It was great for him. He worked hard for it. Um, talented, but better. Uh, his work ethic is actually better than his physical talent. Um, the guy that came ahead of him uh, did 250 more hours. So you don't have to. It's all about quality. Yeah. And achieving the purpose of the workout. Yeah. And if we can get athletes, people, to understand that at the beginning, uh, you'll find... Um, because I've had the same frustration as a coach as you. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, if you state the purpose at the beginning, then you can actually reflect back on it to the athletes at the end of the practice because essentially it's on them. Exactly. It's You're facilitating their goals. And uh, that that is the thing that I think in coaching mistake generally, uh, once I realized I was... It's not about me. It's about them. And this is at elite level. Things became a lot less stressful, a lot more enjoyable. And you know what? Greater success. greater And greater retention rate in athletes staying in the sport. Yeah, a very big insight, I think, for a lot of coaches. To, I'm not uh, telling them what to do. I'm guiding them yeah. to what to do. Yeah. So talking about mistakes, so what... This is the, the central question in this podcast. What is the, the the mistake that shaped you most into the coach you are now? Well, when you asked me this, I had a lot of time to think about it. <laughs> so I was, I it was a, I was thinking. There's a lot, and I was categorizing them: you know, emotion, uh, planning, uh, athlete-centric. But there are two that stand out for me. Um, because this is a podcast, you don't know. I'm a ginger, and yes, I do have a temper. <laughs> and I just want you to know, and it's I, I fight it <laughs> every day. Um, and as I get older, I get better at fighting it. When I started coaching senior men's, and I coached U16 for three years, and we had good good years, and then the men in my club asked me to coach. And then one of my uh, mentors, a guy I played with, uh, who's is a tip. Standard rugby player, he's got no neck, and uh, Hixie puts his hand on my shoulder, which his hand is the size of my head, um, and says, I want you to coach. I said, Jesus, Hixie, can I at least ask my wife? And I'll give you a day. Thank you, sir. Um, and I went out there, and I thought I could coach through emotion. And in rugby... It's a game of aggression, but it's also a game of discipline. And if you cannot control your emotions, you're not going to be successful on the field because you can't. It stops you from thinking. And in rugby, like you mentioned, what did you see? Players have to make decisions. Coaches don't make them for them. Um, coaches' days are training. Players' day is match day. We just set the table for them, and then they go and do what they need to do. And I thought emotion was going to be the way to really get the guys to improve. And I got, and when I started, the team was very young. Um, I think we only had two guys over 23 years old. Um, most of them were 17, 18, 19, and and they're not men, and they're still boys, and uh, they were skilled enough. But in men's rugby, you need to be tough. And the other sides knew it, and they went out to intimidate our guys. And um, it it uh, and th- three years later, it didn't work. They would just laugh because they were just better athletes, and they'd run away um, and score points. And but then that year, I can remember the match. I won't say the club, but they were choking guys on the field. The referee was uh, oblivious to it. And I went out and I got into a fight with the opposition coach, accused him of foul tactics. And uh, my friend Tony, who I coach uh, at Algonquin with, he pu- had to pull me off, uh, pull me off the guy. It was disgraceful. Um, it didn't create the si- – the guys knew I had their back, which is good, but it, it we got no improvement on the field, which is 
was my intent. Um, and uh, so I learned, and I also learned to listen to the people I coach with. So they usually send me to the end goal if they see, so behind the goalposts, because if I lose my cool, I don't disturb anybody. I can jump around and swear and throw my clipboard and do all of that. And they just think it's some, you know, he's doing, he's being a monkey. And uh, and we have radios, so I talk strategy because I can see the patterns that are evolving in attack and defense. And that was the, the biggest mistake I made uh, in terms of emotional management, but also one of the better learning experiences I had because it got my coaching staff engaged because they knew what I brought, and they also knew what I needed help with. And I was at that point, I was willing to listen to them. So mm. that was it. Was really it was a bad situation that actually improved my coaching practice immeasurably. Is it also fair to say that it's not only a, maybe a mistake about like letting your emotion slides, but also sort of figuring out where the limitations of you as a coach lay and where you need. The help from others. Yes, totally. Yeah, you're uh, you know you're only as good as your team, so you have to make sure you get uh, people, uh, especially um, your associate coaches. People are going to challenge you. Mm. You're thinking, um, you know, you have to be on the same page philosophically, um, not necessarily in how the game's played, but how people are managed. Um, you want to come to a common philosophy, but you want to have a vigorous debate about it, and you want to have a common way. Every play, every coach has got to share their personality with the players. It's important that everybody listens differently, so you need different voices. But your philosophy has to be as one, but you have to have vigorous debate to create it. And uh, anyway, I am grateful to Tony, and we still coach together, um, so it's, it's worked out. So you mentioned there were there were two that sprang oh, to yeah. mind. This is this was one. What, the, what is the second? So. Um, this is skiing, and I had uh, these bunch of girls who were, uh, who were born in 2001, so now they're in university, and when they were nine, they were just started in uh, becoming racers. Now, a lot of people out there, you're going to listen to this and go, you start them in competitive that early, well, in footy you do, and in hockey you do. I'm not justifying it, but all it is was one more day of week of skiing. They were skiing two days a week, and they went to four races a year. So... It was a fundamental sports skills program. So they were learning sports-specific skills. They would learn, run, they would run, train in the fall, running and jumping and playing games and hiking. And in the winter, they would just ski, you know, and they do jumps. And but these girls were very, um, they were weak. They were weak physically. Um, they were weak emotionally, very dependent on their parents. And um, so I signed two really experienced coaches with them all year we normally we rotated the coaches but not this group they mm -hmm. need a lot of emotional boosting and we gave them an award at the end of the year a special award because they really made a difference in those girls lives and uh and i think the parents too because the parents were willing to um allow the girls to accept challenge so then they got to become u14s in their first year u14 they're grade seven and um Really tight group of girls and uh, very talkative. A lot of fun to be around by this point. And co all committed to skiing. And um, now they're training three times a week. Um, and they come, and I we do, so on a, I don't know, forget what night. It was in the middle of winter. And um, and they normally they have a 15-minute warm-up. So they ski about 5K. That's their warm-up. Mm -hmm. And they have to ski a certain route. And I couldn't find them. I was working with them that night. I couldn't find them after 25, 30 minutes. I'm getting all temper tantrum, right? Oh, they probably buggered off and went into the cabin. No, they're not in the cabin. And everyone's skiing around, and I'm looking for them. And I find them, and we call this place a play park. And the play park has a whole bunch of jumps. Ski, uh, like we create small jumps. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's what they were doing. So this is a big deal. Girls going off jumps is not a common sight especially when the guy's around um, because uh, the girls are a little bit more measured in their risk. Oh, sorry. And uh, anyway, they were all going off jumps and they were wiping out. They were face planting everything and they were having a heck of a time. And what did this stupid coach do? I stopped them. 
they'd created their own workout on a, on a, in an area where they were weak at, a skill that they were weak at, and they were climbing the hill. They were probably going to climb that hill 50 to 60 times at the practice. So I didn't actually have to do anything except go off jumps with them. I, could, I should have changed the practice right then and there. Man, do I regret that day. <laughs> but it, it changed my whole coaching practice. Now, it's not for every coach, but if you see what we found, is especially the experienced coaches, is if we see the, the athletes doing something that sort of mimics what the perp, remember? purpose of the workout, yeah. and that's that you have to be an experienced coach to understand, then you, you go with it. Because the athletes have now created their own training. Yeah. And that's what we want. And we're just going to guide them. Well, I think, you know, if you took the jump and you flexed your knees a little bit more and kept them ahead of your toes and just, you know, jumped, um, here, I'll mark a line, then you'll probably get more distance. Right? Yeah. Can you try landing on one leg or, you know, I regret it. All the girls are still skiing. Mm-hmm. Thank God I didn't ruin that. Um, some have become coaches. Um, so, yeah, they, um, boy, do I ever regret that. And that was when I just made sure that in the every practice plan at the top, the purpose is in big letters. Yeah. And, yeah, and so, and then, so you got to respond to the, kid, the athlete's needs again. Yeah, I, I think that's a really um, valuable lesson for coaches to be flexible as long as you can keep that purpose in mind. Yeah. Right. Like for instance, if you're, if you're doing a, a team practice or something and you have three or four drills lined up, if drill one is getting you to your purpose, just keep doing it. Yeah. Like, there's no need to change it. There's no, nobody says that you have to do or all, all four of the drills that you, you put in, yeah. uh, in your practice plan. Look at that's not mandatory. And sometimes I think coaches, you know, and it stems a little bit from that first, like you want to be maybe too much of an impact. It's like, but I've made the practice plan, so we're going to we're going to execute it because I thought that this was a logical progression and we're going to do it. But if that's not what's happening in reality, then you can get stuck in, you know, saying I'm the coach, I'm important. Yeah. And therefore, we're going to do it this way and, you know, not... Um, not adjust and actually see, okay, what are we doing that is going to reach our purpose? So I do this uh, more in um, when I work as a mental performance consultant. When I work individually with clients, I have, um, there's, there's three states a session can be in. State one is I have, like you said, prepared, right? I'm, I come in prepared. I have the whole session, the hour. I know exactly what I'm going to do when have that all planned out and that will reach the purpose that I want from that session or the bigger purpose we're working towards. That's state one. That is, I lead. State two is a sort of a combination, right? I have my plan and we're following it roughly, but we might follow it in a different order. We might spend a little bit more time there, a little less time there because we discussed something that is actually in point three. We discuss it in point two and it doesn't really matter. And then there's state three, which is I throw it all out of the window because we get into a conversation or an exercise or something that is going towards the goal, is going towards the purpose, but it has nothing to do with what I prepared. Yeah. And I find often that the most successful sessions I have with athletes are in state three. Yes. It's when they come in and say, Yala, you know what? Last match, this happened. And I like I know basically when they come in, like, I know sort of throw the plan out of the window and just sit down. It's like, Tell me about it. Because yeah. those things are on their mind. I, I've been working with uh, a hockey uh, athlete who is working on what defines a good match. It's a lot of pressure, a lot of anxiety around yeah. playing. And it comes from a lot of different things. So we worked on, why don't we figure out why you play the sport and what defines a good match? And then you are in control of whether you played a good yeah. match or not. And he comes in and said. I haven't been able to not think about the question you asked last week. And we talked about it for an hour. And at the end of the hour, we had a three, uh, we have a three-star rating system for matches now based on things that he came up with, said, this is what I think is important in a match. 
And now yeah. after each match, he rates his match a one, two, or three-star match. Or zero-star match. It doesn't happen very often. Yeah. But yeah. And at night and day, he's like, I enjoy playing more again. I am more positive. I feel in yeah. control. I feel less pressure. And it's because of that state three where he's like, I have been thinking about this. We need to talk about this right now. I had a plan. I never thought, oh, my goal is to make a three-star rating system. Yeah. That was never the plan. The plan was to figure out a way for him to be in control over yeah. playing. It ended up being a three-star system because he came up with it. And that's why it's so strong. Yeah. And he, he loves it. It's like, oh, I had a three-star match the other day. And yeah, then he's perfect. really happy yeah. about it, right? Yeah. So it's like... He knows think, how to leap. He knows how... Yeah, it's just... It's relaxation. Exactly. Yeah. So um, let's move on from that. I think those are really uh, cool things, especially that sort of the flexibility and knowing where your limits yeah. lay. Um, now, I'm interested in how do you approach coaching uh, from an individual sport versus a team sport? Now, I know in... in in skiing, you do practice, like you do train as a group, but it's still an individual sport. So where rugby is a team sport. So both both sports have individual skills that are all similar. So um, in a skier, you have to you know you have to be able to skate ski classic ski. You have to be able to double pole. You have to be able to uh, go down hills and go up hills. You know you, your balance needs to be good. All rugby players have to catch, pass, tackle, and ruck. Now, we get into specific positions after that. And that was one of the hardest things for a lot of the Algonquin guys this year, the rookies coming in, because they were told, you are a position. And we tell them, you're a rugby player, and you need to be able to make decisions, and this is these are the skills, only four, well, fitness is the fifth, um, um, that will enable you to do that. So if we're in this section of the field, um, we need players A, B, C, D to be able to, um, they, you know, everybody has a role mm. and your role changes. And that's where the decision-making comes in. Um, in skiing, um, I had one athlete tell me that uh, one time, oh, he was, le- was going to quit his mountain bike program and, uh, and he and he and they said, "Why are you leaving uh, mountain biking?" And he said, "Well, mountain biking is an individual sport, but skiing is a team sport. Um, so that's why I, I've got 85, 84 of that age group who mm-hmm. are dedicated racers already, is because we treat it as a team. So everything is done. So we prioritize team sprint relays. We prioritize the relays over anything, and the the good canoe clubs." prioritize the uh the 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 big boats like okay so the war canoes yeah right and uh we also don't limit people on who can go to nationals you want to go you've worked hard great we don't care about the rating in the country uh national titles are part of a process you Mm. know and we have to reach a lot of small goals to for that to occur. One of the small goals is reten- high retention rate. How do you do that? Keep the friends in the program. That's a very social experience. Then they're not isolated. They don't feel different. They'll come to training. So rugby's the same. If they don't have camaraderie, mm. so you're, they will not come to training. That's priority one. So you create a culture um, that prizes friendship. Priority two, you create a culture of learning. So everybody comes out of a practice or a training session, they've felt they receive value for their money. Uh, and and priority and and priority three, fun. You gotta have humor. You gotta have fun, and and those two things equal respect, as far as I'm concerned. Um, I don't know if many coaches. I don't even know if you've read it, but it's a legacy book by James Kerr. It's called Legacy. It's a business case study of the All Blacks. I recommend every coach read it because they talk about creating a culture. And it's very honest. Um, Mm. But the All Blacks now will not, and uh, many uh, countries have adopted this, they don't necessarily take the best players. They take the best people that fit the team. So they have a saying, 
if you can't change the uh, if you can't if, if you can't change the player, change the player. So, what well, we're just trying to create this culture where you need your teammates, you need them there to help you get better, and your job is to make your teammates better. Mm. And that's hard for a lot of people to accept because um, they that's a real change in especially cross country skiing um, where people think it's an individual sport. Yeah. It's not. And that's why we've had so much trouble nationally in uh, creating competitive uh, teams because people actually haven't realized that a lot of the reasons people yeah. stayed was because of the friendships. Now, you've got to like the training, and the training is no picnic. Yeah. But your friends, if you're training with your friends, you're going to stick around. And a lot of coaches have forgotten that. Yeah. And it's real tough and skiing because the old guard do not understand. And I'm going to get in trouble for this, but I went to a high performance uh, uh, thing in Canmore for Nordic Canada. And uh, my sister, who happens to be chair of Nordic Canada, told the facilitator to break up a table because it happened to be all the old guard coaches. So they're just, I mean, Einstein's definition of insanity doing the same thing over and over again and get it you know expecting a different result yeah. like that's the issue and they always say to us my club well you guys are lucky no we're not lucky we worked at it yeah and we figured out why the kids come to skiing like who who comes to a minus we don't cancel practice it's minus 30 you can choose to come or not we still train mm-hmm because it's, it's not the weather, it's your equipment, it's your limiting factor, just rep, dress warm, we'll still get an 85% turnout. Yeah. Why do they do that? Yeah. Why do they do that? Because they like the people that are yeah, there. Yeah, exactly, because their friends are going to be there, and I want to be with my friends. Yeah. They told one girl, she didn't think she was going to come back this year, and she said, and they said, well, well then we're never going to see you. And this is a girl who... And it talks, this is, goes to the performance, and this is why I like this. She's not one of our high performers, um, but she does boxing where she's quite mm-hmm. talented at. And she came up to me uh, after the high school cross-country running was done, and she'd gone to every meet. She didn't qualify for OFSA because mm-hmm. she didn't have enough people on her high school. Um, her build is uh, more like mine, so an endomorph. Mm-hmm. And, but she'd improved her time on the course she was running by four minutes in five wow. weeks. That's impressive. And she had injuries, and that was her goal. It was a complete performance goal, just like your star thing. Yeah. She didn't have to be in the podium. She knew. She improved her basic pace by one kilometer an hour. That's pretty good. Yeah. You know, and she's really proud of that, and she'd written down as her goal, and she did it. Yeah. And, I think- uh, and that she needed, but she wouldn't have done that if those girls hadn't said, well, you can't do that, we'll never see you again. Yeah. I think uh, there's a big part of um, motivation research that focuses on feeling related to other people. That's one of the sources of of motivation, that you need to feel like you're connected with other people. And the moment you feel that you're alone or you're not in a team or you're not, you know, you don't belong, then motivation is gone very, very yeah. soon. Another thing that I think is um, is a important thing for coaches to, to remember is that a big mistake that you can make is thinking that you don't make mistakes. That if thing goes wrong, it's your athlete's fault, right? And, and that comes back to that ends up never, you know, uh, you never change your behavior. It's like I absolutely 100% believe that it is mistakes that change behavior. So if you don't think that you make mistakes, you never change. Yeah. So as a coach, I think, you know, it's always important to, to feel like there's things to improve and, and that you are making mistakes. You know, I probably make more than I can count every time I step onto yeah. to a court or, or something. Uh, there's always things that I'm like, oh, that, that wasn't smart. I should have done that. Like, But that drives me to then become a better yeah. coach which ties me into the, to the next part I want to ask you about so what are you what, what are some of the shortcomings you're working on as a coach right now so 
Oh, me personally, holy jeez. <laughs> um, I'm still trying to uh, figure out how to um, work with coaches that are inexperienced. Um, to get them up to speed. Mm-hmm. Um, some come in with a, a pretty good learning attitude and willingness to be flexible. And then what I find challenging is working with ones that are... Um, have come who have a, a background in the sport and but they haven't had really done the work to improve and uh, to become more current I think mm-hmm. um, because there's a lot of argument with them and it finally you know it just comes out this is the way I want it done uh, I've explained why I've given you the resources I don't know what more I can do um, and then I'll tell them outright you cannot demo for the athletes until you spend time doing it yourself. So what I do is I actually have two coaches critique my technique every year when I'm skiing, mm-hmm. um, dry land and, uh, and on snow. I get them to critique it. I get a video and, uh, uh, and just to make sure. Yeah. And, you know, it's usually fine. It's, you know, tertiary stuff. But just as long as I got the motor patterns right, yeah, um, the kids can watch me. I'm not going to do it fast, but they'll be able to see. And the other thing I think that really motivates me is we have a guy who's 77 or 78. He's still coaching. Um, he's been coaching, God, 40, 40 years. He's seen every practice uh, come into vogue and go out of vogue and come back in again. And... Um, I try and emulate him because he's never, ever sat on his laurels. He's always looking out for something new. And he'll come to practice. Hey, I was thinking about this. Uh, maybe we should try this. And, geez, Dave. Well, yeah, okay, you're working with this group. Go experiment with them. Yeah. And then he'll se- I'll send an apprentice with a men- someone he's mentoring, and they'll come back and they... They've tried it, and they say, well, yeah, this worked, but we adapted it for this, and the kids will come back. Oh, we were at Dave, and we did this, and it was so yeah. much fun. And, and then you're all jealous of Dave because he, 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 he keeps up mm. with them. And yeah. he still set speed records on roller skis in his 70s that the kids don't even equal, which they're pissed off about. But, again, they have a challenge. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, you know... I, it, it, there's lots of resources out there, and if you're, you got to be open to them. Yeah. Um, rugby is very high bound, and I found with rugby once I um, realized what was important in the game, and I had to, I had a mentor coach, and I took me a year to um, uh, understand what he had told me. Um, he had told me what North Canadian rugby players are weakest in, and he gave me three things. And um, what most rugby coaches do is they, uh, especially new ones and coaching younger ones, they try and coach the set piece. So the scrum and the line out, something mm-hmm. they can control and practice. Yeah. They take 10% of the game, of the game time. So that's eight minutes in a match. You don't do that. You've got 72 more minutes where there's a, probably 250 tackles and 160 rucks, and probably 300 passes. What? Where's the priority here? Yeah. You have to use. That's the other thing. Got to use statistics. You you actually have metrics, and if you get the right metrics, you need to be open mm. to it. I know volleyball does a lot of metrics, but it yeah. can guide how you. Yeah, absolutely. Right. You know, if I I know in rugby, I see a tackle. Um. I see our tackle rate goes below 90%. Well, we're tackling next week, right? Yeah. And in skiing, I, we do metrics with double pole, one skate, and everything. And if I see there's a ratio between for skiing between one skate and double pole, um, and if your time is around 12%, so if you're 12% slower, um, 12 to 15% slower with your double pole over your one skate, mm-hmm. then your ratio, muscle ratio is good in terms of... Uh, uh, lactic output and all of that but if it's too close it means we got to work on your legs and if it's too far apart yeah. it means we got to work on your arms and the thing is when we did that last metric the girls all figured it out and some were 
very strong in the double pole, and they knew oh, I got to work on my legs. Yeah. And then oh, this is excellent, right? Because we now we there we can give an individualized program because they've made the statement. I I have not told them you need to work on this. No, exactly. They've said I need to work on this. Yeah, exactly. And this is these are fourteen year old, fifteen year old girls that are saying this, right? Sixteen year old girls. They're gonna. It doesn't matter what they do now in life. They're gonna be able. They're getting yeah. analytical now. Exactly. And they, and they and they and you and they're comfortable in their movements and they understand what is good, and what they need to improve. We we got you know we can go a lot mm. of places with that. Yeah, I think it's really in, uh, interesting how you're working on uh, helping new coaches and, and working on that skill of getting them up to speed because it's difficult to sometimes relate with people that are, you know, that you've been coaching for a while. They are at the beginning of their coaching yeah. career and it's hard to sort of understand how they're seeing things and how they're not seeing things and, and how it's all different. I think that's always a, tricky thing for coaches well and we in our sport in cross-country skiing i've we talk a lot about weight shift or weight transfer nobody understands what that means Mm. you have it in volleyball when you jump when like you know okay i don't talk about it anymore nobody understands it and then the worst thing is a new coach because they don't have the toolbox of 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 exercises to help an athlete be confident in moving their weight from ski to ski mm-hmm. they'll say oh you got a weight transfer more well that's the most useless statement it's like um have a nice day <laughs> sorry so i just banned the the talk the term yeah. i banned it i said you say it you don't give them a, an activity to fix it so what have you done you've confused you've tell you told them they're doing something wrong and then you haven't given them anything to help them improve yeah where's the win yeah. And you know what? You might be wrong. But they think a lot of you. So they're going to think, oh, I'm doing something wrong. Exactly. And we don't want a kid coming out of practice thinking that. So we banned it. All it is, you move your weight from one ski and hold for X number of seconds. And then you move it to the other ski for X number of seconds. Now, that sounds easy because you're transferring mm-hmm. power. Um, but we have, and when we give them a few little drills to do and, yeah. uh, and they, uh, once the kids understand, oh, that's all I got to do. Yeah. Then they start creating their own. And cause that's one of the questions. Well, go off and create, give me something. Uh, give, uh, we've done this. Do, can you create something else? We don't do yeah. it necessarily for the younger ones, but the older ones will do it and the, it's it sometimes is yeah helpful yeah i think the the language coaches use is is a big mistake because i would say most coaches if not all they have the right intention yeah they see something and they want to try and fix it but if you use the wrong language you can actually have the adverse effect yeah. in volleyball it's hit the ball in well thanks coach <laughs> yeah yeah i i knew that it doesn't give me any, any yeah. information. Yeah, because it's all you know, body position. Where were exactly. you? Well, you said, "What do you see?" Right? Well, were you close enough to the net? You know that. Were yeah. you too far back? Was your angle? It's and, it's just and and sometimes yeah. what's difficult as well is as a coach you don't know you because you weren't yeah. in that situation you didn't see what the athlete exactly. saw so it's really hard. I had a a situation yesterday during a game where an athlete. Uh, in a weird position, hit a ball and hit it out. And it was clearly the wrong decision. That, there was no doubt that it was the wrong decision. However, it was all the way on the other side of the court. I didn't see what he saw, right? I didn't make the play. I wasn't on the court. So yeah. It's hard for me to see. I didn't have a good angle. And he asked me, should I do X in that situation? And I told him, I said, I don't know. The only thing I can tell you right now is that what you just did wasn't the right decision. I am sorry that I can't give you any more information, like because yeah. I I generally don't know right now. Yeah, and um, that uh, that's really interesting because uh, I was at a talk with the uh, Canadian women's volleyball head coach, 
um, a few months ago. And uh, it was about motor learning and how they approach um, their practices. And, and it's, it's really science-based again. I, I think about 50 to 60% of the answers to the questions that came from the crowd was, I don't know. I thought it was yeah. really strong. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah. yeah. He's like, I, I don't know. Yeah. I, I'm not sure. Right. Yeah. You were asking me this thing. And to be honest, I have an idea. I, I might have suspicion of how it's working, but I don't know. Yeah. And, and that's, that's the thing. I, I now go when I'm mentoring and when we mentor, what do you see in there? And they'll tell me, oh, their hand is doing that. I said, yeah. Yeah. Where does power come from? And we just wait. So you got to start, you got to look mm. at their hips and see where their hips are in relation to their feet. And then we can, and then look at all the big joints. Because yeah. the weakness is biomechanics. Um, you know, you want the muscles to, anyway. And when we get coaches thinking that way about the mechanics of movement, um, decision making is another thing because you have to put them in situations so one of the things in skiing that a lot of coaches forget is that let terrain be the teacher so it's just like matches you need to play mini matches Mm. volleyball or rugby to create the conditions where they have to apply the skill to the decision being made and the same in skiing you create um uh you know you find the terrain to teach the skill rather than because I have a 10% rule. If I have a 90-minute practice, you're allowed to talk for 10 minutes. So that's nine minutes. Yeah. yeah. Right? And a lot of coaches, they may have a, their, te- their, their learning style may be vocal, auditory. doesn't work. Most of the people you coach are not auditory learners. And they, they're kinesthetic. That's why they're in mm-hmm. sport. They need to move. And... Uh, so find the train. And we actually do a thing where we have a station where we put two coaches that really like teaching uphill, downhill, and they'll run the kids through this thing. It's, gets re- it's really hard at the beginning. And then they, uh, they just keep, they just do reps for mm-hmm. 20 minutes. Yeah. And what happens is they're obviously they're having fun and they're increasing the level of difficulty. Um, but then when you get the coaches coming in that haven't done it for 20 minutes it's mm. just a gong show because we're wiping out and the kids ha 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 <laughs> but yeah. um yeah we just uh that's the thing it's games situational and uh, terrain and then we don't have to we can move we don't have to talk yeah I'm not talking too much is yeah just letting athletes uh, figure you, it you out you talked about the the practice and there, I went to a coaching seminar with uh, a guy who coaches at Algonquin. This was a few years ago. He's a rugby coach with me. And we went, and it, they had um, this guy who was used to be coach of the Fr- French rugby team, Pierre mm-hmm. Villepieux. And mm-hmm. he played 36 times for France, or over 30 in the 70s, which is a huge number of caps. And he was a decision-making position. And he was running this session. And we, we met him in the restaurant at breakfast because the person was being rude to him because he didn't speak much English. And, and uh, so Boggy, uh, who's bilingual, spoke French. So we met him mm. and his wife and we went over. And he was leading the session. And he, he was in his uh, 60s this, at this point. And he was actually uh, guiding behind the guys and grabbing them by the shirt during the flow of the game and moving them like instead of saying what did you see, he was actually moving them over to the position, and then he would whistle it up, and he'd say, "Why did I move you there? Why did it?" Yeah. And it was really, boy, that was informative. Yeah. Instead of barking at the guys, he was he he was just physically. He told them at the beginning, "I'm gonna grab your shirt, just go with me," and uh, and and once they got used to it, man, that was, oh, that was a that was a re- that was a revelation. Yeah. Stop talking and start doing. Like yeah. that that was a big deal for for me. Like it it you know, I'm glad we're having this cuz that was just foundational in changing my coaching practice. Yeah. So again, right a moment where you realize like ah, I've been doing this wrong. Yeah. Like you see something else you're like, "Wow, that's yeah, that's so much better. I'm not doing the right thing." And then you you change the the way you uh you coach. So I want to move on a little bit 
to mistakes athletes make, right? As coaches, some people say our primary objective is to correct mistakes. Um, so besides the technical sports-specific like mistakes athletes obviously make, right? What are some of the most common mistakes you see your athletes make? Well, it, it comes down to, I, I guess... Um, So, because I coach in two environments, um, the skiers, um, obviously, they're growing as people and developing as people. So, um, creating um, a, uh, a lifestyle around the sport takes time. And um, they have to learn to plan and prioritize. And that's hard. Uh, the, the rugby players that I work with, not necessarily the senior men, but the Algonquin players, this is the first time they've been in a demanding athletic environment, mm-hmm. most of them. And so it's it's not the necessarily the, the training that gets them. It's um, preparation for training, so hydration, nutrition, sleep, taking care of your academics and your personal life. And then the recovery after practice is so nutrition, sleep, hydration, and possibly massage, you know. They have uh, yoga for athletes here, and we really encourage that. Mm, but how many yeah. of them take it? Because as you know, their flexibility sucks, and range of motion, and that would really help um, and help the core strength, which are both our sports is invaluable. Very, very, very yeah. big. Yeah. Um, so it, it's all around that. So you know, you're helping my skiers become more well-rounded people by working on their goals and mm. dealing with performance issues, and that is. You know, just something, how they think they are in sport is the other thing, you know. Yeah. Um, you know, do you define yourself? You spoke about the hockey player. Do you define yourself by wins or losses or by achieving the purpose of the workout and uh, what you can control in a game or a race? That's a big mindset because the drive home from a hockey game or a ski race used to still is probably, or a soccer game, did you win? Mm, yeah. How did you place? Rather than, did you achieve your goals? Exactly. Did you help your teammates achieve their goals? Yeah, it's whether your your outcome or process yeah. oriented. And I, I do agree that that's what I see, especially in young athletes. Uh, it's like the it's nutritional. The and what we've done, we've done, co- we've done uh, we're going to have a, a presentation for parents on red. So relative energy deficit syndrome um, because it affects males and females, uh, mostly females, because that's how the female triad is now re- uh, re- uh, referred to mm-hmm. because uh, it comes down to nutrition. Um, and the other thing we've done with the girls especially is uh, not necessarily with me because it's very wrong ethically and creepy and all the same, is we talk to them about menstruation and charting their cycle Mm. So that um, they know, and if they, you know, because everyone's unique, and we have a lot of female coaches, because uh, that's something I do, I recruit, um, so that the girls can go and talk to an exper- experienced female coach and talk to them about where they are in their cycle. If they know that we're doing an intensity workout and it's not going to go well for them, we have a plan B, and they know that. But that's something we adapted uh, just through knowledge and, and uh, knowing that everybody is in a different state. And the girls are really appreciative of it um, because, you know, they, 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 have, they have goals they want to achieve and they don't want to be, feel that they're taking a shortcut. Um, so that's just, you know, that's the other thing I guess is not giving the athletes enough responsibility at a young age mm. to guide their development. That's something we've had to evolve yeah. to, um, and it, it, it's uh, when we get to that stage, man, it is. They Makes tend to recover difference. better. They sleep better. Training is better quality. Yeah, I think in in general, just the the way athletes perceive being an athlete is very yeah. important, right? Talking about focusing on the process rather than the outcomes, yeah. but also the fact that. Athletes are good, if not great, when they're on the court or, you know, when they're training or something. But it's, what are you doing outside, before yeah. and after and in between? 
that is going to help you be good on the court. Yeah. I think that is something that young athletes definitely struggle with. And it is also something that comes a little bit later because you get into a sport because you like it, right? Yeah. You don't prepare for it. You don't yeah. take it seriously. You play, right? The way I started playing soccer is because we had a ball at home and we had a piece of, you know, lawn in the backyard. And yeah. I grabbed the ball and I started playing. There was no stretching. There was no warm-up. Yeah. There was no nutrition or yeah. cool-down. No, I did it. I liked it. Then went to a club where, you know, as a four-year-old, the only thing that happened was they tossed the ball on the court and they just yeah. said, go play. Go play. Shui. Exactly. And say. at some point, you know, it becomes more serious and, and you need to figure out these things before and after. And like you said, if you give them autonomy over that, you guide them, you help them, obviously, and say, this is what, you know, you can be doing. This is what where you, we want you to go. If you let them figure it out, yeah. then that makes a, a big difference. But it's definitely a mistake that a lot of athletes... and. Even when I'm talking to athletes on this podcast or just in general now, a lot of the things are not necessarily sports specific. When I ask them, what was their biggest mistake? It wasn't, I, I didn't spend enough time on my technique. It's, I didn't listen to my coaches enough or I didn't take everything else seriously enough. I didn't yeah. take injury seriously enough. I didn't take recovery seriously enough, right? I got... You know, too, everything got too big-headed because I was in a school where everything was great. And, you know, in yeah. the, the episode I had with um, with Derek Watkins, who was a national uh, high-jumping champion, yeah, he went down to the States and his school was big and athletics was a big thing and people adored the athletes and you were somebody and it got yeah. in his head and then he started losing track of what he needed to do to yeah. reach his goals. And so the, the real mistakes athletes remember and say this is why I am the person I am now is not on the court it's not very often something very sports specific it's those things around it that they say like I didn't do that right and I think if as coaches we can give them the guidance at the beginning of their career and helping them figure that out we will give athletes a lot of yeah uh, satisfaction and maybe you know both of the uh the national slash Olympic athletes I've talked to on this podcast before have had serious injuries that they had to deal with um, because of these kinds of things. And if we as coaches can prevent that down the line, I think we're yeah. doing a very good job if we if we manage to yeah. do that. Yeah. Uh, Jeff, totally we've been agree. we've been talking for uh, over an hour already. <laughs> Any uh, last comments or uh, or feedback concerns you want to add to uh, to this podcast for the listeners? Um, be active I encourage everybody to be active um, good things happen you meet great people you get to explore new things um, not, uh, people have to remember competition it means uh, the definition in the dictionary is to seek together it's actually not to beat uh, beat somebody and I think if people can embrace that, then um, sport and physical challenge become uh, becomes uh, it becomes a better path. Because right now we still create pyramids, and we, you know, where the elite are very at the top, and mm. uh, we want to actually create rectangles, and yeah. where people are doing sport for life and. If it happens to be that uh, you want to go for a run, a 5K run, go and do it. Because you know what? The time doesn't matter. The fact that you did it yeah. is what matters. I mean, I go on a team sprint relay every year with a friend of mine. Uh, I coach his daughters. We played rugby, same club. We are not going to win that race. <laughs> <laughs> but we go in it. Yeah. You know, and we get cheered on by everybody, and it's hilarious, and it hurts to death, the this relay, and but it is a lot of fun. Yeah. And um, you, you can't, uh, you know, and we do an endurance event, and it doesn't matter where you place, just do it. And if you're not in shape, so what? Go out and do it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, if you've got health concerns... There are lots of avenues, but just go out, be active. And the other thing I would say as a coach, if you 
love being outside or you love being around people or you love the sport and you have no knowledge, forget about the knowledge. If you let your, share your love, the athletes will understand and they will give you so much respect and they will let you make mistakes yeah. as long as you're honest with them. And they will come to practice and they will love you for it. Um, you don't have to be an expert at the beginning. No one's an expert. I go to my grave and there's going to be, I will feel that I am still got 90% of whatever to learn. Because things evolve. I very much agree with the, the intention of a coach is not, you don't have to be perfect. Yeah. Just make the mistakes as long as you're trying your hardest to fix them and to, to become yeah. a better coach, then you can make as many mistakes as you want. Yeah. Uh, Jeff, thank you very much for oh, being here. Pleasure. It was a, it was a lovely time. If people are interested in either skiing or rugby, where should they go? Um, well, there's the national sport organizations, Rugby Canada and Nordic Canada. They're provincial sport organizations, Rugby Ontario and uh, Cross Country Ski Ontario. And they have websites and wherever you are in the country, you can find a club to play for. Perfect. And um, if people have any questions for you personally, send me an email. Perfect. Or send uh, you an email. Text, Facebook, text, yeah. DM, whatever uh, social media you yeah. are uh, you're finding me on. Uh, send it, and I will relay it to oh, Jeff perfect. and make sure that we uh, can get those questions um, answered. Yeah. Uh, if you are listening to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, please give me a review. Uh, that helps me out a lot. You can find other information uh, about what I do as a mental performance consultant and uh, about some things that I do with the teams uh, on different social media as JWK Mental Performance Consultant. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of the Imperfect Athlete Podcast. And I, am, uh, I hope that I can uh, see you all again in the next episode.